We're talking about building God's house. You know, very timely, right? We're about to move into a new building. And yes, we know that God's house, like we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We know that the church is us, not the four walls, right? But there is something about uh, the corporate gathering, right? And so we're, we're going into a new place. So I love to see what does the Bible say uh, about building God's house, about building, building the church, because it's a tool that God is giving us, right? And it's already built. And, and for those of you who don't know, you know, we we're closing escrow this Friday. And that's so exciting, right? Yeah. And this very weekend, we're going to hit the ground, you know, with uh, construction, demolition, and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah. And so, so much going on, right? But, um, but there's something real powerful and spiritual that affects us as well. It's not just like, well, you know, I'm putting all this time and money into the church, but, you know, I'm going to, there's nothing coming back to me. And it's not true because we're in a covenant with a God, you know, who is alive and he is in a covenant with us and is a two-way covenant, right? And so when we put something into the kingdom of heaven, you know, there's an effect that comes back into our life. And so I want us today just to, you know, go through, I'm, I'm going to read quite a, quite a bit of scripture because I want to show you what, what God is asking, what God has asked in the past, and how it even carries into the New Testament, and what is it, you know, what does it mean for us right now? How does it affect us? And when we get involved with building God's house, what can we expect? And so um, one of the things that happens is that when we... Um, some, sometimes there's things in our life that are not flowing how they should be flowing. There's promises in our life that are, being, are not being fulfilled how they should be fulfilled. There's things that are out of order. There's things that are out of priority, right? It's kind of like when you're, when you're misaligned, you know? Uh, some things aren't feeling very good. But you get aligned, right? Maybe you, get, you go to a chiropractor or a physical therapy or something, and all of a sudden, all, a lot of things, you know, it's like a trickle effect. A lot of things start working correctly because you lined up some things. You lined up some priorities. You lined up certain things. And so your, your life is feeling a good effect of that, right? And so sometimes it happens like that with God. And so maybe this is something that in your life, you know, you realize today, be like, okay, yeah, that. That makes sense. I haven't had that as a priority. I haven't had that thing lined up correctly. Or maybe you're like, no, well, that's the reason why things are flowing so well in my life, because I do have a heart for that. And so uh, we're, we're going to start reading here in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 1. And what, what happening, what's happening here is that, uh, and, and I don't want you to have any uh, stress or fear or worry or anxiety. We're not taking up an offering, okay? <laughs> You can breathe, you know. You can, it's okay. We're not going to do that. You know, you know how we are here, right? And so Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 through 9, and I'm going to read quite a bit. This is uh, when, when the Lord asked them to build a tabernacle, right, so that he could inhabit among them, so that he could be with them. God has always wanted to be with us right here in, in person, right? And the very first time was in the Garden of Eden. He was walking, you know, with Adam and Eve in the fresh of the garden. Then the second time, you know, after the... Apple fiasco, you know, uh, is that God wanted to be with them, right? And his presence was with them in a limited way. But then he's like, build me a tabernacle so I can inhabit in that tabernacle, right? Wherever you go. And this was a mobile thing. And then there was a temple, right? And then after the temple, what happened? Jesus came. And Jesus, he was here. And then after Jesus ascended to the Father, he said, I leave you the Holy Spirit, right? 
which is now why the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go, wherever the church is, wherever the corporate worship is. You know, there's the presence of God is manifested with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so God has always wanted to be with us. And that's why it's kind of special to have uh, to build a house for the Lord, because, yes, he's with us outside of these walls, but he also loves family gatherings. Right. We love one on one time. But we really value family gatherings. Like, and, and that's the same thing with church. It's like some people are like, ah, we don't need the church, you know, because the church is just people. Yeah, I agree with that. But don't you like family gatherings? And the Lord loves family gatherings. He said, don't forsaken the assembling, of, of the assembling together, right? And so anyway, so if we go to Exodus chapter 25, what's happening here is there's the offering for the tabernacle. And as you guys know, you know, we have everything we need to move into this new place. You know, the Lord gave us enough for the down payment just in the perfect timing. We have some money to start doing the renovations. And there's going to be an $800,000 uh, loan that we're believing to pay off, like, really, really quick. Before even three years. Like, you know, let's say one year, right? Or sooner. Move in time. Yeah, all we got to do is believe, you know. Nobody's asking you to open up your check checkbook, right? Just uh, believe with us. Anyways, Exodus 25, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. And watch this. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. So the Lord is saying, Accept the contributions of only those whose hearts are moved to offer them. It's a hard thing. He can say just like, hey, just anything, whatever comes in. Like from this very beginning, the Lord's like very specific. I don't want just any offering. I don't want people to come bring offerings because they feel like they have to. I'm not punishing anybody. He said from those whose hearts are moved to offer them. And that's still the same today. Then it says here, here's a list of sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat hair for cloth, tan ramskins and fine goatskin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamb, spices and the anointing, oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the uh, priest's uh, chest piece. It says, have all the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them, right? That's what the Lord wanted a place where, where he could have family meetings, where he could be among the people. It says, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishing is exactly according to the pattern. I will show you. Now, let's go to chapter 31. If we go to chapter 31 right there in Exodus, we're going to read verse 1 through 5. We are touring through the word. Um, and it says, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have spe specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting, mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. Um, so see, God wanted excellence in his, in his house. He wanted it to be done by professionals. He wanted it to be done and represent him, right? And so that's the same spirit that we're going in. We want to make things beautiful. You know, if you, if you look at the place, we could go into it and do nothing to it and have church. But we want to make it beautiful. We want to make it as unto the Lord. We want to have an excellent place to go in and to worship the Lord. And so, you know, I love that God, he's not afraid to say like, hey, you know, 
it's not just like build me a tent made out of plastic, you know. It's like, no, I want gold and, you know, and silver and precious stones and stuff. And I mean, he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe. Like, I think he could ask for that stuff, right? Now, don't worry, we're not looking for gold for the walls or anything like that, you know. We are in a different day. But I do want to point out that the Lord likes nice things. He likes nice things, right? You know, one of the things um, is that we've been in this building for eight years, and it was just two years ago that we did a whole expansion, renovation, everything. And why did we do that, right? We, well, we, yes, so we could, you know, have more room, but, but we wanted to do the best we could with what we had. Uh, yes, it's a storefront, but what else? How can we make it better? How can, it, we were always thinking up until uh, the day that we decided to put an offer on that building, we were still making renovations and we were still you know, making improvements and we had projects going on to make things nicer. We had just started up one of those rooms for prayer and stuff. Why? Because it's the house of the Lord. You know, we got to have some kind of passion for the house of the Lord. Uh, go with me to chapter 36, right there in Exodus, okay? And I'm going to show you something amazing that I believe will happen here. This is awesome. It says, the Lord has, uh, in verse 1 through 7, the Lord had gifted Basile, Oliab, and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and finish the tabernacle just as the Lord has commanded. So Moses summoned, uh, summoned Bezalel and Oliab and all the others who were specially gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. I love the eagerness that, you know, our, our church family has. Like, people are eager to start working in the house of the Lord. Like, people are, you know, offering their skills or trades, signing up, saying, you know, I can do this, I can do that. There's, that pleases God's heart. You know, that, that you're excited about his house. And it says, verse 3, Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel and sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working in the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. No pastor has ever said that. <laughs> I hope we have to say that someday. Like, okay, you guys stop it. Like, we've just, we've just built all over the world. Like, there's houses of worship. There's orphanages all over the place. Like, I think you could just stop, you know. Like, that's a pretty amazing thing that you have to tell people don't bring any more stuff, you know. And it was what, what, what kind of stuff it was. It was like gold and it was silver and it was goat's hair, which I imagine was really expensive then, or really good, you know. <laughs> I don't know if we use that anymore, right? But, but he, it was so awesome. Like, he had to tell him, stop, stop, you know. We have vision for, for a lot, you know. We're, we're building an orphanage in Kenya. We just finished the third house, like, literally last week. If you follow on Facebook, you can see the third house is fully furnished, done. As a matter of fact, we, we have, Vero, you know how many kids? Is it four so far? Three, two? So far, two of the eight new children that are coming into that house. So, so that's pretty amazing. That's our orphanage in Kenya, you know. And that, that is a different project that we've been doing for a few years. But um, 
we have vision for a lot of things that we want to build for the Lord. And so there will always be a place for the people to bring their offerings and bring their stuff because it's not about us. It's about what can we do with it. You know, let me tell you something. It's, we were with Troy Brewer just last week. He came over to the house and, and he was telling us, you know, he's like, you guys have no idea how fast $4 million go away. He's like, when we, when we got our first $4 million, you know, people say all kinds of things. Like, when I get a $1 million, I'm going to do this and this and this. When I get $2 million, I'm going to do this, 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 You know, he said, you have no idea how fast it goes. He said, when our first, you know, few million dollars came in, he said, they were gone faster than anything because we already had vision. We built a, a rescue home for human traffic in, in, in this country, in that country, in Mexico, in Africa, in Brazil, and in all these countries. That, and it was gone, right? And I always say this, that if the Lord can get it through you, he'll get it to you, right? And I want to be a good steward of plenty of resources for the Lord because it's very likely that I'm trustworthy and that I'm taken care of. That's not a problem, you know? I never have to worry about me because he takes care of me. And I can be trusted with the resources. And it's the same for each one of us. We can be trusted with more and more resources if we are vessels and not dams, Okay, and so I love this part, you know, because I'm like, I'm so excited. Like such a thing has happened before. There was too much. They didn't know what to do with it. And it was a tabernacle. And so, you know, this is when they were mobile. They were still, you know, they still had a portable church. And so they probably didn't know. They they probably had to stop because they're like, we don't know where to put this stuff. And we're going to have to carry it to the next place. So um, then we go to um, check this out. 2 Samuel, well, actually, let's go to 1 Chronicles, chapter 29. Now, this is the temple, okay? 1 Chronicles, chapter 29. Right here. And we're going to read verse 2 through 9, okay? Anybody else enjoying this? I just love watching, like, because this tells me the heart of God towards this kind of things. And it also shows me, you know, what... uh, how do I interact with this, okay? Um, and so we're going to start in verse 2, uh, 29 verse 2. Here we go. It said, Using every resource at my command, this is King David, I have gathered as, gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone. And marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I love this part. Because of what? Because of my devotion, because of my love, because of my passion for the house of God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for this holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir, from uh, 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? It's King David, right? And this says in verse uh, 6, says, the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. How do they give? willingly, right? So we see the same attitude, the same, it's a heart thing. He, these were offerings of people that had purpose in their heart that willingly 
came to give. They didn't get manipulated. They get forced. They didn't tell them, oh, look at us. We need this. And if not, we're going to go under. No, they didn't. It was none of that because the Lord doesn't need our stuff. It's our honor to contribute and to build with him, you know, whatever he's doing, whatever he's uh, made us be a part of. It says in verse, um, uh, I got lost. They gave willingly, verse 7, for the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold, co- gold coins, uh, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, uh, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. Did you see this? The people, what they rejoiced over their offerings. Now, offerings is something you give, right? They rejoiced over giving. You think, well, they rejoiced when they got their harvest, right? <laughs> no, they rejoiced over their offerings. For they had given freely and wholeheartedly. In other words, if you're not giving freely and wholeheartedly, it's kind of hard to rejoice. You can't rejoice if you're being forced to. You're like, oh man, all right, fine. We're going to have to give to this because we come to this church. And, you know, if I don't give, then what are they going to say about me? And and my wife's going to be mad at me, so... There's no rejoicing unless you give freely and wholeheartedly, right? <laughs> it's only when you give freely and wholeheartedly. Amen. Amen. And it says, and King David was filled with joy. You know, King David set the example. We've set the example. First time we opened that building fund, we gave $10,000 and probably another 5000 between then and now. That's a big deal for us. That's a big deal for us. And you're like, well, he said what he gave. Well, yeah, because this is not like... Alms. This is not to the orphans and the widows, and it's not you know something that I give somebody you know. And the Bible says, "Don't tell, you, don't say what you gave." Right? But he's referring to alms. In other words, to save the dignity of the person you're helping. But this is this King David. He told everybody, "This is what I gave." And then they followed example. They were inspired by it. It was an inspiration. It was like, "Wow, okay, he's he's in it too." You know, he's not just he's not just up there saying, "Hey, come on, give." And so that's a big deal for us. You know, whatever, it, and whatever you give and whatever you choose and whatever, you know, whether it's something or nothing, that's, that's entirely between you and the Lord because it has to be freely and wholeheartedly and it has to be something that you purpose in your heart. Otherwise, the Lord's like, ah, no, no, keep it. No pastor has ever said that, right? No, keep it. Yeah, we know. I think sometimes, you know, ah, actually, never mind. Um, chapter 29, if we go to verse 14, uh, we're going to read 14 through 17. David says, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? He's telling the Lord, everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. That's beautiful because if you read the story of King David, God gave him cities and they went and they took in the plunder and God made them rich. And so King David is just recognizing, hey, I'm giving all of this, but 
you know, it's the same way I feel. I'm like, yes, I've given that much to the building fund, but it's all that he gave me. Like it was, it was his and he tr- entrusted me with it and it's, it stays in the family. It says in verse um, 15, we are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord, our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with what? Good motives. Good motives. And I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. That's amazing. That's beautiful. You know, we don't want to see anybody, you know, give grudgingly or like because they feel like they have to or because, oh, you... That's, there's nothing more beautiful than see people rejoice over the offering, over the tithes, over like, I get to give this to the Lord. You know, he gave this to me. You know, we're visitors on this earth. Like our life here on earth is just like a vapor, right? When we're gone, we're not taking anything with us. And so these resources, like they come and go. And where they came from, God can always give us more. Um, go with me to chapter... Uh, 7 of 2 Samuel. So we're going to go back a little bit. So I, I, want, I want to read um, where King David uh, first purposes to build the temple. Okay, So it's 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I'm passionate about this if you can't tell. I, I love the house of God because, well, I'll tell you in a minute. My testimony, I'm just all over the place right now. Second Samuel 7, 2, it says, The king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Okay, so here's King David. He's in a beautiful palace. And this is before they built the temple. They just had the Ark of the Lord. Like, there was no temple, okay? And, um, and it says, That same night the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israelites, tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? And I love that. You know, the Lord was, was like having this conversation with, with David. And then uh, verse 8 says, Now go and say to my servant David, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people uh, Israel, I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. And you know what? This is this is just so awesome because it's showing the Lord's response to David's heart and David's initiative of what about the Lord's house? He's like, hold on a moment. And so the Lord is moved, you know, and he's responding. And if we go over to, um, let's see, verse 11, 
at the end of verse 11, says, um, And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Check this out. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. He will make a house for you. And so here's where you see the interaction, right? Here's David saying, you know, because the first time the tabernacle, you know, it, it was God's idea. He's like, hey, build me a tabernacle, okay? And this is the kind of offerings I want. But right now, you know, God was in the ark, they were already established in, in, in their land. And King David is the one that goes, I have a house. I have a beautiful house. The Lord doesn't have a house. He's still in the tent. He's still in the tent of when we moved in. In other words, like, we moved into the new house. He's still in the box. And King David goes, that's not right. Like, I want to build you a house. And then God is moved. And it's like, he's like, wait, you're going to build me a house? It's like, that's awesome. He said, but guess what? I'm going to build you a house and a family and a legacy and, you know, of kings. And then who, who's coming from King David? The Messiah, Jesus. So you cannot outgive God. You can never outgive God. Hmm. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be what? Added unto you. See, it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's, it's, it's a New Testament. It's a principle of the first things. It's, a, it's the law of the first things. God wants to be first, but he wants to be first uh, from the heart. Not because somebody told you you have to. He wants to be first because you have a passion and a devotion for his house. He wants to be first because you're so grateful and you realize he's given me everything. Uh, it's, I, can give, I can give to him because it all came from him anyways. It's so exciting. You cannot outgive God. You know, I've always, uh, I always wanted a grand piano. And, uh, and it was a desire of my heart. But grand pianos are very expensive, you know. They're like tens of thousands of dollars. And uh, when I was a teenager, I was like, Lord, this, I love, this piano is amazing. You know, a friend's house, you know, he had a grand piano. And um, that was it, you know. I always looked at them, drooled over them, you know. It's like, got married, I thought, man, look at this grand piano. You know, how much is it? Ooh, you know, I don't even have a work permit right now, you know. <laughs> I... <laughs> My wife was my sugar mama, you know, I didn't, just that, I was, you know, and then, you know, we, you know, I got a job, of course, and started making money, and it's like, well, you know, grand piano or kids, you know, kids, you know, before I could decide, the kids were there, you know, (laughs) that's true, you know. And it's like, all right, you know, it's like a a car payment, you know, or or, or grand piano, you know, it's like, oh. But I always sought the Lord first, you know. I was the first one in my family to not go to college. Not saying going to college is wrong at all, you know. But the Lord called me to go on the mission field. And so at 18 years old, I went on the mission field. And, and it was a scary step because there were voices in the family that were saying, like, what you going to do of your life if you don't go to college? Who are you going to be if you don't go to college? Like, you know, all this identity and value and, and fear of my future, what's going to happen if I... I I don't know, but I know for sure God is telling me to serve him, right? And so that is seeking him first, right? And 
he adds things unto you. And ever since that, I was probably 17 years old, the Lord's always added unto me things that I didn't have to work for, things that I didn't have to earn on my own. Because it's, it's that covenant I was telling you at the beginning. It's a two-way thing. You seek him, and he takes care of you, right? You offer your life to him, he takes care of you. He adds unto you because you've decided to seek his kingdom first. And so then in all you do, and however that translates to your life, when you seek him first, then he adds unto you. It's a faith thing, you know? He doesn't add unto you and then you seek him because it's a faith thing. It's his promises and his provision, all that only works by faith. It doesn't work by need. If you realize there's people still hungry in the world, why is that? Because God doesn't move by need. I'm sorry to tell you that. God is not moved by need. He's moved by faith. And it takes faith to seek the kingdom of God first. Because he's saying, you know, it's impossible to please him unless you have what? Faith. And so in this covenant, he set up promises. He set up principles that work. But you have to take that first step. Seek first the kingdom of God and he will add everything unto you. So a few years ago, you know, probably eight, nine years ago, somebody called me and said, hey, are you interested in uh, a few items? We have our church closed and um, there's some things, you know. And so they gave us a few things for our church. And then she said, well, and would you like this, this piano? Now, I had already found some free pianos on Craigslist, you know. Like, you go on Craigslist, sometimes people are trying to get rid of their pianos. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, you could go get a free piano, you know, upright piano, something like that, you know. Um, and I'm like, oh, sure, you know, we'll, we'll play this piano. You know, uh, yeah, my kids will love to play this piano. We, you know, we're not going to give it away. She's like, yeah, she's like, I was going to give it to somebody, but then they said they were going to sell it, and this is a very special piano, you know. I've worshipped on it for many years, and, and, uh, and, and I just want somebody that will play. I'm like, absolutely, our house, you know, we will, we will play and worship this piano. My kids will learn how to play, you know, in this piano. Okay, well, I show up to our church, and there's a seven-foot black grand piano sitting right there, and I'm like, that the one? That the one you're talking about? She's like, yeah, yeah, that one, that one. I'm like, I open up the thing. It's a Yamaha. Now, this is a Japanese 45-year-old Yamaha piano that is worth at least $40,000. She gave it to me. I was like, I'm like, God, you really do add unto us when we seek you first. And we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to lose sleep over it. We don't have to get in debt over it. No sorrow comes with it. He just adds it unto us. Like, I'd rather it be that way always than ever have to compromise or put myself in a bad position, you know, for stuff. Uh, don't have time to read this, but if you study the book of Haggai, uh, chapter 1 and 2, there's something really interesting that happens here. And, uh, and in my study of the house of the Lord and, and, and all of this, I, uh, I've really studied out these, these chapters in Haggai. And, and here's what happens. The, the house of the Lord is in ruins because, you know, after the 
the Babylonians came in and did that. You know, the Israels returned um, to the land, and the temple was in ruins. The beautiful temple that Solomon built, right, that David gave all this gold for, it had been had been destroyed. It was in ruins. And, um, and, and one of the things that happens is that the people aren't doing so well. And the Lord says to them, he says, hey, pay attention. What's happening? He said, you're not doing very well. Your harvests aren't doing very well. You, you put your harvest in, and it's like there's a hole in the bag, and then you go, where did it go? Has anybody ever said that after getting paid? I just got paid. Where'd the money go? It's like, it's like there's a hole in the bag. And that's what the Lord is saying. It's saying, saying, pay attention. You're not doing so well. Now, the Lord is like, check this out. My house is in ruins, and you're sitting here in your beautiful home. You're all taken care of. You're all worried about yourself. You're all concerned with you, taking care of you. But my house is in ruins. And the people of Israel wake up, and they go, Oh my gosh, we have to build the house of the Lord. We have to rebuild the temple. We have to do this. And, and uh, one of the things I love is, is in chapter uh, 2, verse 18 and 19, the Lord says, okay, from this day, and he tells them the exact day, I think it translates to like December 18th or something like that in the new NLT. It says, from this day, it said, pay attention, from this day, when you laid the foundation of the temple, I will bless you. And the important thing that I want to highlight here is that God wasn't waiting for the whole thing to be completed. It was enough for the Lord, just as it was enough in Exodus, that the heart decision and the heart position was like, repent is like, I'm so sorry, Lord. Yes, this thing is out of priority. This thing is out of alignment. I am going to put your kingdom first. I'm going to build your, heart, your house first. And they turned and they said, okay, we're starting. They put the foundation and it was like, hey, pay attention. The foundation's down. You haven't even finished any of this. But I want you to mark this day that from this day on, because you decided today to put my house first, because you decided today to have a devotion and a passion for my house, to seek me first, from this day on, I will bless you. That's amazing. You know, and so it, it, what that means to me is that you can make a decision today in your heart and already start seeing change and blessing coming into your life. Before you even, maybe you have something that you're like, yes, next week, you know, me and my wife are going to bring an offering for the building, right? Maybe, maybe that's you. And maybe some of you are like, I would love to, but I don't have anything extra to give to the Lord. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says that God gives seed to the sower. And we are going to go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5 because, again, this is not just Old Testament. It's New Testament principles that God loves. And it says, um, 9 verse 5. So don't we have uh, 2 Corinthians. I'm going to beat the computer. Oh, man. It says, so I thought I should send these brothers ahead to make sure... The gift you promise is ready, but I want it to be a, tell me again. Oh my gosh, that was in Exodus, that was in Chronicles, and that's also in Corinthians. That's amazing, right? A willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer, um, 
A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart, which is why we're not saying, how much you give, David? How much you give, Billy? How much you give, Gene? We're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing that. The moment we do that, your seed is, your heart motivation, everything is out of whack and corrupted. This has to be willingly and from the heart, right? And so it says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, right? We don't want to ever apply any pressure. And if you ever feel any pressure, do nothing. If you ever feel like, I really have to go, I, I, I just feel pressure, I feel like I have to, don't. Go home. Pray about it. Wait. Keep it. It says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Where did we just read that people were rejoicing in their offerings? In the Old Testament, right? When the, temp when the tabernacle was built, when the temple was being built, people rejoiced. God still loves people that give cheerfully. And rejoicing. It says, and God will generously provide all you need. Verse 8. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left to share with others. So if you thought like, well, if I give this, then I'm not going to have enough for me. No, that, that's not what it's saying. When you give joyfully from your heart, right, with the right motives, so you will always have plenty with more than enough to share with others. It says the scripture share, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest in generosity of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous and when we take your gifts to those who need them. They will thank God. They will give glory to God. Right? You guys, this is so exciting. I don't, man, I feel all alone up here. <clears throat> you're like, well, yeah, you're the pastor, man. It's all our house. It's our house. It's our church, right? And this is the exciting part, that you just, you cannot outgive God. Clearer than that, than that, it cannot be, right? How clear is that? But here's the amazing thing. If you say, I don't have something to give, but I want to give. You know what we just read? He gives seed to the sower. Um, me and my wife, we wanted to, I'm going to close with this story so I could get somebody up here. Um, me and my wife were um, poor. <laughs> One day. Wow, that was awesome. And, um, you know, when we, uh, we were just really tight, you know, and uh, big family, and we wanted to go on vacation. We didn't have enough for go to go on vacation. There was this family, a smaller family than ours, which is most of them, right? And they, uh, they, they wanted to go on vacation, and, and we said, Lord, we want to give to them, you know, but we don't have money to give to them. Um, would you give a seed? And miraculously, out of nowhere, we expected, we got $800. $800, right? 
And so we sewed this $800 into them because that way they could go to the beach. They'd never seen the beach, you know. We're like, all right, go on to the beach. Well, it was just weeks later. We get a call from some friend we haven't seen, talked to in a while. He's like, hey, uh, would you guys like to stay in my beach house in Malibu for a whole week for free? I don't know. I'll have to pray about this. Yes. You know, God gives seed to the sower. And then when that seed comes, you, you, can, you can either plant it or you can eat it. When we got those $800, we could have been like, oh, no, we really need a vacation. So, Lord, give them a vacation. <laughs> We're going to use these $800 and go to the beach for 30 minutes and come back, you know. <laughs> so when you get the seed, if you have no seed, you ask the Lord for seed. And if you want to give more, you ask the Lord for more seed. And he'll give you seed. And when he gives you seed, now it's your job to recognize the seed and plant the seed, not eat the seed. And you know what happens is when you plant the seed, you, you get a tree that gives a, a harvest. But once you eat that harvest, that tree doesn't go away. That tree continues to produce fruit. You know, some people are like barely thinking if they should plan to get a tree. And some of us just have orchards of like, you know, <laughs> More trees that are always giving fruit in different seasons because that's what 2 Corinthians, you know, saying. It's like you're always going to have more than enough and plenty to share with others. And so ever since then, we've had the most amazing vacations. We're a family of seven. Seven, right? Yeah, seven. <laughs> We're a family of seven. And, um, and we've been to Hawaii. We never thought we'd go to Hawaii with all the kids, like, you know, and... And we're looking forward to go again, you know. But it's like that seed and that tree continues to produce, you know, over the years. I can't tell you the amazing deals and opportunities and, and things that God has blessed us with just, you know, out of that one seed that we sowed a vacation into a family. Now we constantly and consistently reap a harvest of vacations for our whole family. It's so amazing. And so you cannot outgive God. And if there's any fear in your giving... Work on your heart first. Don't give. Let me tell you something. We're going to be okay. Like, the church is fine. We've always been fine. You know, we've always had more than enough. God knew the right timing. He always provides. He provides for our orphanage. He provides for our food bank. He provides for our building. And we know that place is going to be paid. Those $800,000 are going to be paid off quickly. Whether he uses all of us or he uses somebody that we don't know. But it is your opportunity to sow in the house you're planted and watch what the Lord does. And I'll finish with this. I know I said that 10 times and it could produce a little distrust in you, but forgive me for that, you know. Uh, and it's important that I point this out again for those of you who haven't heard it. As a church, we started sowing into other churches, buildings and constructions and building funds about three years ago, I think. You know, one of them, I, I, I remember I told I told all of you, and it's somewhere in one of our service live streams, and said, hey, listen, watch this. We're starting, we need a building, so we're sowing $5,000 into this church in Mexico. And those $5,000 finished their building. We've been to that church now, you know. And I said, you guys watch and see. We're doing this together as a church because I want you to see, you know, what the Lord does and how, how he gives us our next building is going to be miraculous. And it's been nothing short of that. Amen. And so I want to pray for you. And, uh, you know. And then you pray and you ask the Lord what you want to do. And if you need seed, you ask the Lord for seed. That's it. 
So that whatever you give, you give willingly and rejoicing. Amen?